everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. I had a uh, gathering of the local mythological roundtable group earlier this week. And at that gathering, I told the story of the Maiden King, which was the Russian fairy tale that involved Ivan and the Firebird. That's a story that I told on this program a couple of weeks ago. And we were considering a couple of things. One was just the image of the Maiden King, which is really a pretty startling concept when you think about it. The notion of the Maiden King. You know, here you have this numinous young woman who's important to the story, and she's not a queen or a princess. She's a king. And we can understand this to be an indicator that she is beyond our usual dualisms. She's a blending of the two. And someone remarked about how progressive that was and was, you know, kind of thinking about the story as coming out of Russian culture. And then another, at another point, the observation was made that we didn't really learn a lot about the characters in the story. You know, we we have Ivan and he's betrothed to the Maiden King and he has this whole adventure in order to actually be united with her. But we don't really know very much about Ivan. You know, we don't even know exactly his age. We just know that he's old enough to have such an adventure. Anyway, all of this led me to th- think a little bit more about the origin of fairy tales and their purpose, for lack of a better word, and connection to us as the symbolic language of the psyche. Fairy tales are commonly understood to be later handlings of earlier mythologies. And so the answer to the question, where do they come from, is essentially unanswerable. We don't know who originally wrote fairy tales. We don't know how a given tale that comes to us now as a cultural product, as a German story or a Norwegian story or a Native American story, we don't know where those ideas originated And we don't get details about the different characters because they aren't characters per se. They are metaphors. They are symbols, which doesn't mean that they only mean one thing, but does mean that they evoke in us a range of reactions, one of which is our own capacity to fill in the details about them. That filling in the details is one of the reasons why these stories are worth telling. 
Now, we know one thing. We know that these stories are old. And we know that the symbolic vocabulary of the story, the beautiful princess, the firebird, so on and so forth, the the evil stepmother, we know that these are, as I've been calling them, part of the symbolic vocabulary of the psyche. They're what is called in depth psychology archetypal. They seem to be hardwired into our consciousness. And we feel the power of that language where it lives for us, where it touches us and our own psychology, even if we don't understand exactly what it means. Now, we've largely lost the knack, I think, for interpreting and feeling our way into this language. We've been trained for centuries now, I think, to discount those experiences. We've been trained to think of these stories as being merely entertainment, and in the case of fairy tales, as being something for children that shouldn't be taken seriously at all by adults. But that is a real mistake, because these stories are very important communications that have come down to us over the centuries, literally over the millennia, uh, from human ancestors describing our experience of being here in ways that transcend culture and time. Part of the purpose of this show is not just to make that point, but also for us to experiment together, as I'm telling you stories, with this language and to try and kind of get back up to speed, you know, develop a capacity to understand and move around in the metaphors that are used so that we can take advantage of uh, the observations and wisdom of our ancestors, for lack of a better word. And also so that we can have the experience where it hits us of the numinosity of the symbol. You know, when you're listening to a story and a detail really grabs you or jumps out at you and it has a certain power, um, you know, it has a, a, what I call it like a numinous quality. That is important and significant. So it's, you want to pay attention to that if it happens when you're listening to a story like on on this program or any place for that matter. You know, and the, the numinosity, what that points at is a level of significance and meaning. You want to allow for that. You want to allow for that experience. It may have an otherworldly feeling. It might come with a sense of wonder or awe or even fear (laughs) because you are communicating with yourself and with the larger collective psyche on a very deep level when those symbols come and touch you and you allow yourself to be touched. I've also been thinking about the power of these stories as narratives. 
and the consistency of the narrative structure in them, which increasingly, um, as according to science, scientific explorations, uh, we can increasingly understand as being a mirror of the way that human consciousness works. We find meaning in, and even more importantly, create order out of all of the various stimulus and information that's coming into us from the outside world by making it a narrative, by turning it into a story. And this is very important also. You know, I, it reminds me of an article that I read recently that was in the New York Times Magazine, I think it was in March, by Ron Suskin about his autistic son. Now, this little boy developed autism when he was two or three. And what the article describes is the way that this child's fascination and obsession with Disney movies allowed his family to reach him and actually teach him and help him re-enter our world. Those stories were a bridge between whatever was going on inside his mind and the chaos that was there and the world that we are inhabiting. The characters and the stories and the dialogue enabled him to order his world and to understand social patterns that are necessary for all of our interactions. Now, I'm not an expert on autism, but reading this story, it seemed very clear to me that the little boy responded to the narrative structure in these Disney movies that he was watching and the patterns of social interaction. And these were patterns that he could comprehend At some deep level, they were part of his psychic organization. And when his parents and his brother entered the story with him, they could meet there. And as I said, now he is a self-sufficient young man. Anyway, it's a fascinating article. So if what I'm saying intrigues you at all, I invite you to look into it. So what is the origin of myths and stories that endure? I don't know. Dreams and visions, that makes the most sense to me. From long ago. Propaganda of the time? Maybe, maybe some of them were. In any event, in these stories, we have the meeting of imagination and soul. There's a communication of truth and significance through metaphor and symbolic language. And I think it's a mistake to imagine that this is now or has ever been in the past completely conscious and intentional on the part of either the developers or creators of these stories or any of us who tell them. (laughs) There's an aspect of being led, of being led by something into an arena of larger significance, which anyone, I think, who visits the realm of the muse experiences. If you're a writer or an artist or a dancer, or, you know, if you are involved in the act of creation consistently in any sort of a way, I think you can relate to what I'm saying. That sometimes, in the best of times, you have the feeling that you are manifesting something that says more and is more than you and your intentions.
So anyway, I have a story to tell you today. It's going to take two programs to tell it, so this is going to be part one. And it's a very beautiful story, I think. It's a Norwegian fairy tale called Valamon the White Bear King. Now, the reason that I'm telling this story, besides the fact that I love it and I love the image of the white bear, is that I expect you to hear echoes of the Maiden King and Ivan and the Firebird, which I told a couple of weeks ago, and also of Psyche and Eros. And there's a three-part program on Psyche and Eros in the Myth and the Mojave archives, which you can go and find and listen to if you aren't familiar with the story. Psyche and Eros comes to us in written form from Apuleius, who included it in his book, The Golden Ass, which is a very strange and interesting story of transformation that's almost 2,000 years old. So now you understand the purpose of my long introduction here. From Psyche and Eros, which you can consider to be an earlier version or the foundation of these fairy tales, we have all of these various other spin-offs, one of which I've already shared with you, The Maiden King, another one that I'm going to share with you today, Valum and the White Bear King. Fairy tales are reshapings of these older stories, what we typically call myths. And we are still doing that today with varying levels of skill and awareness. And we will continue to do that as long as the truth, and that's truths multiple, that these stories convey to us about the human experience resonate. Valamon the White Bear King is, in a nutshell, another story about the necessary union of masculine and feminine energies in the psyche and the effort that is required to achieve that. And I think we would do well to note the prevalence of this theme in these stories. I've already mentioned to you, too, that I've, already, that I've told on this program that have to do with a similar idea, with the same idea. These stories have come down to us because we need assistance with this task, which is at the heart of our evolution as integrated and whole human beings, that the masculine and the feminine come together. And we need this now as much as ever, probably more than ever, though I also think we see cultural evidence that we're making a certain amount of progress. So, my final point to make this rather long introduction today. The details and the images in these different stories vary, and you can see them all as as doorways. You know, you can imagine that you're in a hallway of doors that open into this story and into your psyche at this particular moment. So when you're listening to the story, what speaks to you? What details jump out? What images come to your mind? I encourage you to allow these details their possible significance and to meditate on them in your own time. So now I invite you to sit back and relax and listen and find your place in this story of Alamon. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful young princess and she dreamt of a golden wreath. And when she woke up, she had the deep feeling 
that she simply could not live without it. She went to her father, the king, and she told him, Father, I have had this story, this dream of this most glorious object, a golden wreath, and now I don't know how I can go on. Her father, being a king, of course, imagined that he could fulfill her wish, because isn't anything possible for a king, and he tried to have a wreath made for her. He called in all of the craftsmen around the kingdom, and they made a golden wreath one after the other, after the other, after the other, but none of them would do. None of them matched the image from her dream. One day, she went into the forest, and she saw a white bear playing with that very wreath from her dream. How much do you want for the wreath? She asked the bear. My father is very wealthy. He can give you whatever price you name. And the bear said, Oh, this wreath cannot be had for money, but only in exchange for yourself. The princess thought about this, and there was nothing that was more important to her than the wreath. And so she agreed to go with the bear. Okay, she says, you have a deal. I'm, I will go with you if you'll give me the wreath. Okay, said the bear, I will come back to the palace in three days. It's on Thursday to fetch you. And he gave her the wreath and the princess went home. Now, the dream of this golden wreath, that's a very big dream. To dream of such a thing is to dream of the transcendent. Gold symbolizes perfection and divinity. And in alchemy, gold is the symbol of great transformation. You know, the whole lead into gold thing. It's also associated with the sun, which is typically masculine. And the wreath itself is associated with crowns and halos and the divine feminine. So the white bear with the golden wreath, this is a very powerful thing. No wonder the princess cannot live without it. So when the princess gets back to the palace, she tells her father about the golden wreath and the bear, and she's very excited. Here it is, Dad. I've got it now. I can be happy. I have the wreath, the wreath. And when she gets to the part about the bear coming to get her, well, you know, I mean, she's presumably up for it. And the king, the king is not excited about this idea, but he's also not too terribly concerned because he is, after all, the king. And he has a great castle and guardsmen and an army. And he figures that he's going to be able to keep the bear away from his lovely daughter. But when the bear comes and he roars at the gates, all of the armed men that the king has assembled around the castle are completely incapacitated. They're struck crazy with fear. And the bear comes into the palace. And he comes into the palace and he sees the king and he says, My king, I've come for your daughter. 
the one that I gave the golden wreath to. And the king is filled with consternation. But as it turns out, he has two other daughters who are not quite as lovely as the beautiful young princess who got the wreath. In fact, these two daughters are kind of a pain. And so he gives one of them to the bear. He calls one of the other daughters and she comes up and he says, okay, honey, I want you to to go with the bear. And she, she does. And the bear runs off into the forest with this other princess on his back. And they run and they run. And after he's run a distance, the bear stops and turns and looks at her and says, Have you ever sought more softly? Have you ever seen more clearly? And the unlovely princess says, Well, yes, actually. I sat more softly on my mother's lap, and I saw much more clearly from my father's castle. Oh, said the bear, well, then you're the wrong one. And he dumps the unlovely princess on the ground and runs off into the forest, leaving her to find her way home. Now, the following Thursday, the white bear comes again to claim his princess. And once again, the king has arrayed all of his men outside around the castle, and they're all armed and ready to meet the bear. But the bear comes up, and he gives a mighty roar. And again, they're all completely struck with fear, and they drop their weapons, and they're totally incapacitated. And the bear comes into the castle and confronts the king and again says, I've come to claim my princess. And again, the king calls one of his other daughters and tells her that she has to get on to the back of the bear and go off with the bear, and she does. And again, the white bear runs through the woods with her and at some point stops and turns to look at her and asks, Tell me, my dear, have you ever sat more softly? And have you ever seen more clearly? And this unlovely princess also says, Why, yes, I sit more softly in my mother's lap, and I see much more clearly from my father's castle. Well, said the bear, you then are the wrong one. And he dumps her on the ground, and he runs off again, just like he did the last time. And this princess is left to make that same long walk home. When the bear comes again the third time, the following Thursday, and again defeats all of his men without struggle, the king finally gives up his beautiful youngest princess. She climbs onto his back, and they run off into the woods. And at the appointed place, the bear stops and turns and looks at her and asks, Have you ever sat more softly? Have you ever seen more clearly? And the lovely princess says, Never. 
I have never sat more softly, and I have never seen more clearly. You're the right one, the bear tells her, and he carries her further into the woods. So clearly, this girl's got some gumption because she not only goes with the bear, she aligns herself with him and with what will come next. The white bear takes the beautiful princess to his lovely palace, and it really is a fantastic place. The craftsmanship is impeccable. It's much nicer than her father's castle. And during the day, The bear is away, presumably doing bear things. But at night he comes back to the princess and to the palace. Then he is a man, and he makes love to her in the darkness. She doesn't see him, but she can smell him and hear him and feel him. And they live together like this, mostly happy for three years, and everything goes as well as could be expected. But every year, the princess has a baby, and the bear takes each child away just moments after birth. The princess is saddened by this, and finally she gets quite despondent. And she decides that she wants to go home and visit her family. She's lonely. She says one night to the bear, Husband, I miss my children, and I miss my family. I miss my father, the king, and my mother, the queen, and my two sisters, and the castle, and and the fields around my castle, and I, I need to go home. I would like to make a visit. And her husband, the bear, doesn't want to see her so sad. So he says, okay, you can go and visit your family. But promise me one thing. Don't do what your mother suggests and listen to your father instead. Okay, says the princess, I'll do that. And so the bear takes her home. Now, this young woman's family is very happy to see her and they're also very curious about her life with the bear. One night when she's sitting with her parents, her queen mother brings up the subject of the bear again and she says, you know, I'm pretty concerned about this man-bear-man-bear thing. It just doesn't seem safe to me, my dear. I really think that you need to get a good look at him so you know who or what you're dealing with. Now, there are no lamps, there's no candles, there's no lights of any sort at the bear's palace. And the princess tells her mother that she really doesn't have the means to see him because there is no light and she's not really sure that it's such a good idea anyway. But her mother presses a candle stub into her hand and says, Here, my dear, I want you to just go ahead and and take this back with you. Her father, the king, shakes his head. I don't think any good will come of this, he declares. But the princess takes the candle. And the next day, when the white bear comes to get her to take her home, She takes the candle home with her. So this is where I'm going to stop this week. I will tell the rest of the story next week. If you are familiar with the story of Psyche and Eros, then I'm sure you're noticing here already that we have this mostly happy but somehow incomplete union 
between a human girl and somebody or something that appears to be not quite human. And the pact between them involves secrecy, not seeing each other clearly. And something's about to happen to disrupt that. You'll have to tune in next week to find out what the princess does and the effect of that candle stub. So that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook. You can also contact me through my website, mythicmojo.com. Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from Mojave Wi-Fi, Joshua Treats Ice Cream, Pappy and Harriet's, Petersburg Realty, and listeners like you. I hope that you'll support this program and this unique community-based station. If you go to our website, www.radiofreejoshuatree.org, you'll see a donate button that will take you conveniently to PayPal, and we appreciate contributions of any size. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to you for listening. Please tune in next week for part two of Valamon, the White Bear King. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. <laughs>